Well, it's good to see all of you and have some of our family members back that have, that have been missing, and uh, it's good to have family and friends together. If you're a guest with us for the first time, we've been going through a series talking about pleasing God. That kind of came out of some thoughts that I had because we left off in Romans 1. We've been originally, uh, before summer, we've been going through uh, Romans chapter 1. And Romans chapter 1 is all about the wrath of God ready to be revealed on all of the sin of mankind. And it's, a, it's just a hard passage to go through to realize how sinful we are compared to the holiness of God. And, and so we ended with that whole idea of that God's wrath is upon all mankind. And so we said, well, what truly pleases God? And I was asking myself that question. And so uh, there was a book in my study uh, said, Pleasing God, and written by R.C. Sproul. So I said, hey, I'm going to look at that and... Let's talk about that this summer. Well, because I've been uh, either on vacation or sick, and because of other events this summer, we're still in the series. So Lord willing, and then a couple more weeks, we'll finish this, and we'll be headed back to the book of Romans and finish up Romans chapter 1 and look at chapter uh, 2. But we want to know, what does it really mean to please God? And we've been looking at that and pleasing God and battling. Uh, this morning, we're going to talk about battling with the flesh. And if you haven't realized, I always talk about what we're struggling with, what causes us to struggle to please God, and I always give you what pleases God. And so we, we see the flip side, what pleases God, but what causes us to struggle in pleasing God. And so this morning, battling with our flesh. The reality is, is our flesh really causes us to struggle with pleasing God. The everyday things that we think about or the things that we stumble are sin. The reality is, is just because God saved us doesn't mean that he's removed all of our natural sin tendencies. But he has given us a way to deal with that, and that is the Spirit, his righteousness. He's given us a way to conquer those fleshly things. One day, it's not the fact that we are perfect. Just because God saved you doesn't mean that you are perfect, although he sees you as perfect, but we still struggle with sin. So we are adopted into his family. We saw that in, in Romans chapter 8. And we're going to be looking, just as by way of illustration, as Matthew 26, at a very, uh, that statement about the, the flesh, the, the flesh is willing, um, or the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. We're going to look at that as a way of illustration, and then we're going to jump right into Romans chapter 8. And so if you want to turn there, you can, and we'll, we'll be reading that. Here's the things that we've looked at thus far, and that is this, that we should be living before the face of God, and that should be our everyday life is what really pleases God, and that is for us to live in his presence every day with that, that goal in mind. The other one is, is to desire, God desires for us to be righteous, not for us to be, live out our own righteousness, but to live in God's righteousness. God desires us to be righteous based on his righteousness. God desires us to be transformed and have his identity and his purpose. Uh, 
God doesn't want us to be transformed into our own identity, but to be his identity, to live within his family. And so this morning, we'll look at God desires us to yield to yield to and to be led by his spirit. That's a, a, an amazing statement, uh, desiring us to yield to, or another word is to submit to, uh, to submit to him. God wants us to submit to him. He is the father of our new family as he adopted us when he bought us out of of the the slave of sin, and he purchased us by the blood of Christ, and now we are part of his family. He wants us to yield to that and to be led by his spirit, his character, by his essence of who he is. He wants to lead us, and he wants us to want to be led by him. And that is his desire. That's what really pleases him. So as we look at these, these verses in Romans 8 and in Matthew 26, 41, let's pray and ask God to lead us and help us to understand this idea of yielding to him and how it really pleases him and how it, uh, what battle we need to overcome in our thinking and in our actions. Lord, I pray that you would help us to realize that we are in a, a battle we are in a battle to, to who we are going to yield to. Are we going to yield to the everyday nature of who we are before Christ, before you saved us? The natural tendency to sin, the natural tendency to say that we are more important than you, the, the natural tendency to just to turn our back on you and to say that we are more important. Lord, it is, it is a battle, ongoing battle. But Lord, we are so grateful in the mercy in which you have loved us, that you sent your very son, yourself, to die on the cross for our sins, that grace us to give us grace, to give us something that we don't deserve. We don't deserve that righteous act of you loving us and dying on the cross for our sins, to pay for our sins that we now might be clothed in your righteousness because, Lord, we are not righteous. We are not good. We don't do right. It is not our natural desire, our natural things of our life to just be right. So you gave us your righteousness that we might now be seen as righteous in your eyes. Thank you for that amazing gift. Thank you for that grace. So, Lord, I pray that you would help us to realize the battle that we are in and that the battle that you fought and won on our behalf so that way we would acknowledge you and be led by you. Help us to see these things, to acknowledge you, that we might enjoy your righteous life that you gave us through Christ, that we might Enjoy the peace that surpasses all understanding, the joy that we can have in the midst of our struggles, in the midst of our pains, in the midst of the things of this world, that we can enjoy that relationship that you have purchased for us. Thank you. Pray that you would open our eyes to your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. John Owen, a great Puritan and theologian, uh, if you... Uh, so I name-dropped him, and so if you go and look up his books, 
Uh, I won't be offended if you say, oh, that is terrible and hard to read. He is not terrible. His, his, the, context of, the, con, uh, the content of his books are not terrible, but it is terribly difficult to get through. And when you start to learn Old English and you get used to the Old English, it, uh, you realize, oh, it's actually very beautiful, uh, but it takes some time to get used to. Uh, but he wrote a book called The Mortification of Sin. If you don't, what, what is mortification? That is basically putting to death sin in our life. He had a very, uh, he had a whole chapter talking about the dangers of our flesh, the dangers of the sin in our life, the natural tendencies for, our, for us to turn our back on God. And he made this statement, and it says there are two dangers in our life when it comes to our sin and living life. And he says, to be much at peace with this world. To be at peace with the the things that are going on with this world. To just be okay with the world. And he said, the other danger is, is the danger of not understanding and living in the gospel. And and that's, there's a, we're going to jump back to this idea of being at peace with the world and basically just living as if and taking for granted not only our relationship with the Lord, but being okay with the things that are happening around us and okay with the sin in our life. Go to Matthew 26 and verse 41. There's a statement and, he, and Jesus said this to the disciples. He said, the spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Now, I want to give you the context of that statement. You'd have to go all the way back to Matthew 26 and verse 30. And you know that uh, the, the, Jesus has finished the Lord's Supper. He's met in the upper room. He's told them that he's going to get ready to die for them. He's instituted communion. And he's talking about this. And the disciples still have no clue what's going on. He's like, they're like, die? What do you mean die? They still thought that Jesus was going to be set up as king and he was going to kick out all the Romans and that he would become the ruler of the world and they would have all this peace and joy and prosperity. And yet Jesus is like, well, this is my body, uh, which I'm going to go and is going to be broken for you. And they're like, what do you mean it's going to be broken? And this is your blood that's going to be spilled for you. I'm gonna, and he talks about it. I'm going to go away. And they still don't understand this. And this is the context in which we find. And Jesus and his disciples have finished the Lord's Supper. And Jesus quotes Zechariah 13, 7. And he's predicting that his disciples are going to stumble and fall away after he dies on the cross. And the word stumble literally means to be scandalized or scandal. Scandalous. He said they're going to fall away and it's going to be scandalous. And Peter responds to this. Now, if you don't know Peter, he's brash. He says things sometimes without really thinking through what he's saying. Sounds like me sometimes. <laughs> and he, he's really, uh, he's, you know, very opinionated. He thinks of himself as a really good leader. And he thinks he knows everything. Right? We all know people like this, right? And in verse 33, as Jesus is done quoting 
that they're going to stumble and fall away. And Peter says, I will never deny you. Or he goes, I will never stumble. I will never scandalize what you have said, Jesus. I will never deny you. I'll never turn my back. Well, in fact, he actually proclaims it again because after he said, I will never stumble, Jesus looked at him and says, you will deny me three times before the cock crows, right? And Peter says, no way, never. One of the things you should learn is you should never say never. How many times have you known when somebody says, I will never do that? And the very next thing that happens in that person's life is what they said they would never do. Maybe you said, I will, you, you, you can think of in your mind that when you've said never, right? My wife's smiling because she learned that, you know, she said, I'll never live in Washington. She said that before we got married. Then we got married, and that was the first place we moved. <laughs> and then she said, that's fine as long as we don't move to California. That was the second place we moved. <laughs> you know, <laughs> Well, actually, we moved to Seattle, and then we moved to California. But, you know, so, you know, it's, it's pretty interesting. You say, never, right? You say, never, never, never. And that's exactly what happens. I'll never, you know, when we go into... Um, pre-marriage counseling, and, and I talk about all these problems that we face in marriage, and, and I'll, I'll, I, inevitably the guy says, oh, I'll never do that. And I just smile, and I said, I'll remember you said that. Because it's amazing how many times that I'll never, right? The reality is, we need to say, yeah, I am very much capable of doing that. And Jesus, Jesus said this as they went up to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray, and he is in agony because he knows what's, he's going to go to the cross and take and bear the weight and wrath of God because of this. He's going to take this and nail all the sin of the world. On the cross, he's going to bear it all. And he's going to experience the very wrath of God for you and I. As he goes up to pray, he looks at his disciples and he knows that the time has come. He knows that the soldiers are coming. He knows that the time is at hand. He knows he's going to go to the cross. And he knows that his disciples are going to stumble they're going to stub their toe. They're going to trip. They're going to fall. They're going to do the things that they said they would never do. And he says these words, and he says, he looks at them, and he says, right? He says, watch and pray. Be vigilant. That word watch is be vigilant and look around. And he says, and pray, because he said, the spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Jesus knew that we say many very, when it comes to our relationship with God, and he, and he we knows that we have good intentions. There are a lot of people with good intentions. 
We say, I would never do this. I love the Lord, or I know the Lord, and I know that God is good, and I know that God does this, and I know that God is big, and I know that, and I know, I know, I know, and, and I would never. And then we go out and we sin because our flesh is weak. And he's trying to help the disciples to realize that even though that they love and they had a very surface-level love at that time for Jesus, and they grew in that love, and they began to realize who Jesus really is, that he is their Savior, their Messiah, that he is God himself. They have a new profound love. And this is the context in which this statement comes. And there's a very, uh, I don't even know where the statement came from, but there's a statement that says this, Willpower won't empower to overcome. Sometimes we think our willpower of what we know about God or our willpower in our life will empower you to overcome every situation in your life. And I'm here to tell you that we are in a battle with our flesh. We may say in our spirit or in our wills or in our desires that we will overcome, but it's that willpower isn't strong enough to overcome the flesh. To live in Romans 8, you know, it talks about living according to the flesh and living according to the Spirit. And, and because of what Jesus did on the cross and dying for our sins, and when we respond to the gospel, the good news of what Jesus did for us, and, and we repent and believe, and, and, and God accepts us based on what he did for us, we have these two options. You know, we, are, we, can still, we can still live in the flesh and die. Or we can live according to the spirit in which God has given us. To live according to the flesh is to be ruled and controlled by the flesh. And there are five things that you need to understand. I'm, I want to briefly, if, if we've looked through Galatians chapter 5 and Romans 8, there are five things that we can deduce or there's implications the flesh will never do. And this is why it's very real that the, that the spirit is willing but, and the flesh is really weak. And we need to understand we are in a battle with our flesh. And we need, if we don't realize that, we're going to trip up and we're going to struggle. There are five things that will never happen and that cannot do in the flesh. And the flesh can't do this for us. And that is this. The flesh cannot be changed. The nature in the flesh is to always do the opposite of what God wants. The very nature of our flesh, the very nature of our will is, is to be opposed to God. But that's why God died in our place, to pay for our sins. That's why we need his righteousness. That's why there is none righteous, no, not one, right? Romans 8, 3 through 4 as Rob read, and, and we go back and we look, and it says, For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. Do you see that? Whatever we do that is good, the flesh, our very being, weakens it. It's never going to be perfect. Weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. Not He wasn't sinful, but he came in the flesh. And for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled 
in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. The flesh can't be changed. Romans 6, verse 6 through 7 says, We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. God didn't save us so that way our flesh would change. He didn't didn't say that, oh yeah, now change your flesh and then I'll save you. He actually puts to death our flesh by the work on the cross. When Jesus died on the cross for our sins, he condemns our flesh. That's why we need the work of Christ. That's what makes the work of Christ so beautiful because we can never earn our way to heaven. We can never do anything. Our flesh is never going to be good enough. And that's kind of the general of the second idea is the flesh can't be reformed, right? We can't reform it. It kind of, everything basically comes out of this idea of change. We want our flesh to change, but we can't change it. The flesh cannot be changed. It's always going to be contrary to God. It cannot be reformed. That which is desperately wicked will always remain desperately wicked until we, God, until we get to heaven and God gives us our new bodies and we are glorified and, and then we are perfected when we are in heaven with, with God. But until then, he is, he is changing us based on his righteousness to have a relationship with him that is that he is perfecting every day in our life. It's his work, not our work. We can't change the flesh. God didn't intend to reform the flesh, and, and that's the idea, is that the flesh can never be trained. You, you ever try to train a cat? I swear there are some dogs that are like cats. I have one of those. It just doesn't ever seem to get it, Right? Uh, that, uh, my dogs are a great example. We've, uh, we, our dogs, they terrorize our neighbors at times. Although we've, we've kind of come to a good understanding. Uh, we have locks on every single area of our, of our, and they still get out, but they, you know, Ethan brought them back yesterday. <laughs> they, they know when we're coming and going. They, they just, you know, we have to lock them up. And here's the, the thing is, is we buy those stupid collars, you know, that trains dogs. You know what they did? They don't, you know, they, they know that there's an electric fence, right? We've even bought the ones that just shock them. You know, if we see them running out the gate, we just shock them. You know what they do? They go to a tree or they go to our, our fence and they put that collar in the fence and they rip it off. We've, we, they, we've gone through eight different the collars, yeah, we finally said, this is, they refuse to be trained. They're going to go to the lake and that's all there is. That's kind of the way it is with the flesh. The flesh can't be trained to say, oh, we're just going to always be right. It doesn't happen. And you know, we've tried that. There's people go and they try to train themselves to be good and and they fail and they are miserable and they get depressed. It just, our flesh can't be trained and our flesh cannot be improved upon. They try to do it and it breeds, you know, that's what our common society says right now. We're going to improve the flesh. You know, we don't like what we see, so we're going to do this surgery and that surgery and 
I just was listening to a person give their testimony, not at a church, not in a Christian forum, but at a secular campus and talking about how they wanted to take their life because everybody said, if you just have this surgery, you'll, you know, you'll change you know, how you feel about your flesh and everything will change and blah, blah, blah. And he says, I am now 100, I'm 200 times more upset with myself. I can never go back to what I know I should be. And it was just, it was just tears because they think that they can just change their flesh by how they feel at one moment and that it'll change the rest of their life. That's what we're dealing with. We can't change the flesh. The flesh can't be reconciled to God. God, through his infinite love, by sending his son to die on the cross for sins, reconciles our ourselves back to God. He reconciles us. Our flesh can't do that. We live in a a world of good intentions. There's always these good intentions. But good intentions doesn't fix the problem. Right? How many of you have Somebody has hurt you or somebody has done something and they, they always come and they say, well, I, this is, I, I had good intentions. And you're like, well, that doesn't really solve the problem, <laughs> right? The, pro, the good intention problem is so real in the Christian life. We have so many believers and so many of us and Christians that we have these good intentions with the Lord, don't we? I'm, you know, we, good intentions rears its ugly head every January 1st. (laughs) I promise, God, I'm going to read all of this and I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. And we have all these good intentions. And then, you know, a week later, it's like the good intentions are out the window, right? It's because life is going 100 miles an hour down the freeway and, and the windows are rolled down in our life and all those good intentions just fly right on out. Yeah. I don't know about you, I've, I've set things on my car and good intentions, right? And then you drive away and it goes flying off. That's the way our life is. Good intentions is like a barn. You, you see our beauty, those beautiful barns that you just watch and they're falling apart? And you just watch? There's some of those barns. We've, we've lived here, you know, four and a half years now. And, and, and I've looked at some of those barns that they started off. I was like, man, if they just did this, this, and this, that barn would just be gorgeous. That's an amazing barn. That'd be a, a great barn to have. And you watch it, and now four years later, it's like you see that tilt. It's just leaning and leaning and leaning and leaning. And, and now there's a barn even on, you know, that I drive by almost every day, and now it's, just, it's down. And, and it's, fan, it's funny because when we moved here, that barn, it, it, they painted that barn. And it's like this good intentions of like, we're going to restore our barn. And they painted that barn and now the barn's on the ground. All I can see is the roof. And sometimes our good intentions in our life is like, just like the disciples, right? They said, oh, hey, we'll never stumble, Lord. We'll never deny you. Some of us are like that. Peter had great intentions. But the, the spirit says, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. I love you, Lord. But our flesh is weak. We're in a battle, guys. 
The barn can't just be painted, right? The old rotting barn. You got to take the boards off and replace them with solid boards. You got to look for the rot. If you leave the rot, what does it keep doing? It just it doesn't stop until the rot is replaced. That's what we need to realize in our life. You can't just put paint on it. Sometimes in our life we act like our uh, you know going to church and reading the Bible and and praying we become just like the Pharisees like we preached about a few and we be, try to make everything about our righteousness right rather than God's righteousness we are not replacing the boards in our life with God's righteous boards so that way he upholds our life but we keep trying to paint those ugly boards in our life. We keep doing that. And we keep wondering why we keep falling down in our life. It's because we're in a battle with our flesh. We need God's righteousness in our life. We need the gospel. Good intentions don't cut it. The paint on the barn doesn't cut it. We need the boards replaced. And God gave us that through Christ. Gospel provision, the provision of the gospel will do this work in your life. It'll help fight the battle that we're in with the flesh. It keeps the heart full and it keeps us upright and moving. It keeps the heart full of the love of Christ. So how do we how do we fight this battle? How do we kill the flesh? So what is the answer? If we can't change it, reform it, train it, improve it, if, we can't be, if our flesh can't be reconciled to God, how do we deal with this? Well, here's the answer. How do we, cru- we crucify it? Well, God crucifies it in our life. Galatians chapter 5, and Galatians is a, is a wonderful, wonderful chapter that mirrors Romans 8. Galatians 5, 24, it says, And those who belong to Christ, Jesus, have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Because of Christ's saving work on our behalf, the sinful flesh no longer reigns over us. We no longer live under a death sentence. It no longer has to debilitate us. It no longer has to drag us back into the pit of depravity and destruction into which we were born in the flesh because now we've been given God's Spirit. We've been given the work of Christ on the cross And that is this. Here is how we deal with this. We recognize we belong to Christ. We don't belong to the world. Don't try to reconcile the things of this world. Be reconciled to the Lord. We belong to the Lord. Romans 8, right? In verse 14 that we read earlier, it says in verse 14, For all who are led by the Spirit are are of God... 
or by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit as of adoptions as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. I like what it said in the very beginning in, Roman, in what we already read in verse 3 of, of chapter 8. It says, For he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be filled in us, fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their mind on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their mind on the things of the Spirit. We recognize that we belong to Christ because He died for us to pay for our sins. Literally, when He says pay for our sins, He purchased us out of the slavery and the debt that we owed because of our sin. And He brought us into the household of God. To be slave of God, but to be adopted as sons and daughters of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 says this, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within within you whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. We are not our own. God purchased us. We belong to Christ. We belong to his family. 1 Peter 1.18, it says, Knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers. We were ransomed from sin, from the flesh. We deserve to die for our sin, but yet we were ransomed from that by Christ, by his work on the cross. We belong to him in that mindset. We need that mindset that we don't belong to this world. One of the easiest ways to fight this battle with our flesh is to, when we wake up, realize that we're not looking at the world as if the world owns us or we belong to the world and we belong only what this body can do, but we belong to Christ. The other reality is, is that is that this, is that we kill our sinful desires. We were meant to kill our sinful desires. In, in Galatians chapter 5, he said, remember in verse, he says, and those who belong to Christ, having crucified the flesh with its passion and desires. We treat our self-centered ego as dead and unresponsive to sin, while at the same time we foster our new life of fellowship with Christ. The idea of killing our sinful desires is to say that we no longer are going to feed our selfish, self-centered ego, but we're now going to have fellowship with Christ. Colossians 3, 1-5 through says, Seek the things that are above where Christ is. That's the idea of that we belong to Christ, so we're going to seek the things of Christ. And verse 2, it says, Set your minds on the things that are above and not on the things that are earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. 
when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will appear with him in glory. But verse 5, he says, put to death, therefore, that what is earthly in you. There's this sense that God says, now look, now what our job is, is to kill those sinful desires. Now, it's to replace them. Those desires, those things, those sinful habits, it's to kill them and replace them with something new. We have our idea of putting to death what he's saying here in, in the context of Galatians 5 is, is that he wants to exchange our self-centered life with a Christ-centered life. With a life that's focused on pleasing ourselves to a life that's pleasing Christ. We have a new resource in our life, and that is God's righteousness. Before, we never had that resource. We couldn't put to death those horrible habits. Have you ever asked that question, why did Israel always keep on... Did you notice how many times that in the Old Testament that God saved Israel? Yeah, it seems like every turn of events, right? That God is, And yet, they, what did they do? They kept turning their back on God. God said, here is, do all of this and you'll find favor with me. You will cleanse your, your sin in, in your life and, and, and you'll restore fellowship with me. And yet they, they could never get it right. They never were saved. And, and, and through all of that process, and they didn't have the Holy Spirit living in their life every day. They didn't have God's righteousness guiding them every day. Here's the other thing is, is in Galatians 5, it says not only that those who are belong to God, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh. That's what God does when he saves you. He crucified the flesh. He cru- crucified your sin. And now he gives you the ability through his righteousness to live a, a right life and a, and a right relationship with him. And he says this, and he says, now... If we live by the Spirit, just like it says in, in, in Romans 8, he says, now live by the Spirit. Those who live by the Spirit set their mind on the things of the Spirit. Those who live according to the flesh, they guess what? They set their mind on the things of the... It's amazing, right? You say, well, that I'm, you know, I've told you this before. I had a kid that said, you know, I, just, I have nightmares every single night. And I'm like, great. Well, what do you do every day? And he would go through the day, and I said, well, and he goes, do you watch TV? And he goes, yeah. And I said, well, what do you watch? And he goes, oh, I just love horror movies. I'm like, are you kidding me? And he's like, and you have nightmares every night. Yeah. He's like, can you help me? I'm like, I think so. (laughs) But his problem wasn't just he didn't know the Lord. He didn't know the Lord. And I said, well, here's the thing. I said, well, you're under God's wrath, and that's, that's a horrible place to be. You can't do right. And I gave him the gospel, and he got saved. And I said, now I want you to do one thing for me. After he got saved, I said, would you do one thing? And he, and he goes, yeah. And I go, would you just stop watching the horror movies? <laughs> right? Stop living for the flesh just to please the flesh but live for the Spirit. That's what it means to live by the Spirit. It's to seek the things of the Lord. 
The word live, the word live literally means in the Greek, it means to, speaks about our lifestyle. Is your lifestyle seeking the things of the Lord? How do we kill the flesh? How do we, how do we allow God to win this battle of a fl- the flesh that we have going on? Well, recognize that we belong to, to Christ. We kill the sinful desires by changing out and getting rid of bad practices and start the new habits that God has given us. And we live by the Spirit. We change our lifestyle. We focus on a godly lifestyle that He tells us. Not a Pharisee lifestyle that's built upon a bunch of rules, but living after a relationship with God that is in His Word. Romans 8, verse 10 says, But if Christ is in you, although although the body is dead because of sin, that's our flesh, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. Live according to the Spirit that your lifestyle seeks to live according to the character of God. Now, he ends with this. So if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit and let us not be conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Do you know what keeping in step means? It was a military term. Have you ever seen those military, you know, when they do all their marching Right? Have you heard of the term, uh, we, we got our marching orders? You understand, right? And you got to keep in step. You know what happens when, when a soldier doesn't keep in step? Well, man, if you're in boot camp, you're going to find out real fast, right? Donald will tell you, and uh, you know, if you don't keep in step, right, you need to keep in step. Because even though in boot camp, it might not be life and death, but the reason that they force you to keep in step because when you get your marching orders and you're on the battlefield and you don't keep in step, somebody's going to die. Either you or one of your other fellow soldiers. That's the reality. I, you know, that's listening to during our Friday morning uh, coffee time with the men, I hear a lot of times when people would tell these war stories about being in the military and people that thought they could just do whatever they want and it never boded well for them. Keep walking in step with the Spirit. Walking literally means to walk in line, walk in a straight line, proceed in a row, to follow somebody's footsteps. It's more, you know, like we talked about, it's the rank and file. It's keep walking in step. Now that you know the truth about God and you know that the Spirit gives you life and the ability to overcome the circumstances in your life because you can't do it, your flesh can't do it, and we're battling the flesh and we're never going to win that battle with the flesh, live in the Spirit and as, you, as your relationship with the Lord grows, keep on going on. Don't stop. Some of you have been in line. 
and then you just walk out of line in your walk with God, and you've trusted God, and now you've decided to trust yourself. You say, well, I like this, and what I like is better, and so I'm going to do what I like. And then you wonder why you struggle, why you're hurting. And it's not just because you've walked out a step. Sometimes you're hurting just because we hurt in this world because it's filled with the sinful flesh. But many times, a lot of times in our walk with God, we struggle with our walk with God because we've stepped out of line. And we've gotten our marching orders from God and we ignore it. You say, well, where do you get your marching orders from God? How do we keep in... Well, God tells us, right? He gave us his word. His word to say, here's where I want you to go. And yet we, we read it and we say, that sounds good. And we go this way, right? He says, I want you to go this way. And the Bible says, you should do this, that it may be well with you. You know, follow me. Trust me, right? What did he tell Joshua? He said, don't, you know, be courageous. Tell everybody in Israel, be courageous. I've already fought the battle for you. Just obey everything that I say. And then they did that, and what happened? They conquered everybody that they came in contact with. And then finally they said, you know what? This is easy. We're winning. And Israel said, we're going to just do what we want. We're going to go over here and fight these guys. Look at, they're, they're weak. There's only like 200 of them, and there's like, you know, 2,000 of us. And they went over. They did not listen and obey God, and they just chose to do their thing. And what happened? Those 200 just destroyed Israel's army. That's what happens with us when we don't walk in step with the Spirit. Here's the thing. God saved you to have a relationship with you. He saved you because we can't save ourselves. He saved you to deal with your sin, to restore fellowship with God. Right? God, God is not desperate to have a relationship with you. Just let me help you to realize that. He has a perfect relationship with himself. He doesn't need us. But he saved you to redeem you because otherwise we would die with no fellowship with God. That's what hell is. We're just going to be in eternal pain and anguish. And he saved us to have that relationship. And he gave us his word to give us a direction to show us where that relationship is, flourishes and grows. And yet, what do we do often? We say, oh, this sounds good, but I'm going to do my thing. There's nothing more dangerous than stepping out of line. I'm not talking about living. It's not about don't fall into the leaven of the Pharisees and say, hey, I'm going to reform and I'm going to make it all about how good I am. Make it about God's righteousness. That's what the gospel does. Every day we realize we get up and we say, you know what? I am not good, but God is. God was good enough to die on the cross for my sin. 
God was gracious enough to give me something I didn't deserve. I didn't deserve to be saved, but he chose to save me anyway. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wake up every day, I'm going to realize that, and I'm going to say, oh, Lord, thank you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say, I, I'm going to live based on that truth that you're going to make me alive for whatever I, you've called me to do today. I'm going to seek you because I belong to you. I think of what we read in Psalm 73 in verse 26. I think this should ring true to all of us as we conclude this morning, and that is this. My flesh and my heart may fail. If we stop there, just like Rob did earlier, if we stop there, right? Many of us feel that way sometimes. My heart and my flesh, they fail. That's how David felt, right? David, that sinned, turned his back on God, committed adultery, killed somebody, sinned, turned, turned his face from sin, didn't confront sin in his own family. I mean, the list goes on. And yet, God says he's a man after God's own heart. He said, my flesh and my heart may fail. It's more likely it will fail. <laughs> but he said this, but God is the strength of my heart. Is God the strength of your heart? And my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. But for me, it is good to be near God. Can you say that this morning? Our heart and our flesh may fail, but it is good to be near God. He is our righteousness. Psalms 3, verse 7 through 8, it says, Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. One of the easiest ways to keep in step with God's Spirit is this. Fear Him. Realize He is holy. We are not. That was what Sunday school was about. God's holiness. And, but look what verse 8 says. It's a conditional clause. If you fear God and turn away from evil, look at verse 8. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Do you honor the Lord with you? Do you seek to honor Him? Do you love Him? Do you love Him enough to turn away from the things of this world? Do you love Him that much that you don't even care about this world anymore? There's that song, you know, I, you know, I don't care about this world, but give me, you know, but give me Jesus. I don't remember how that song goes, but I just, I know the, the, the phrase there. I just love that phrase. What, what can this world offer me? There's nothing. Just give me Jesus. Jesus said this to his disciples. Matthew 26, verse 41. Watch and pray. How do we win the battle? over our flesh that desires to turn our back on God every day. That's the battle you're in as a believer. Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak.
Lord, I pray that we would realize uh, in this, as we took a long time to look at the brevity and the depth of our flesh and the depth of the spirit that you gave us to guide us, that we should live by and walk with every day of our life. But Lord, the, the reality is, is that every day we are in a battle with that flesh that you have conquered. Indeed, our spirit is willing. We, are, we know that you are good. We know that you produce what we cannot produce. And yet every day we struggle. And every single day is a day that's potential for temptation. Indeed, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. I pray that those that have put their faith and trust in you, in Christ, and the work that he did on the cross for our sins, and he rose again and he conquered death, and and those that, Lord, you have saved that are here and that are watching, that they would realize that they are still in this battle with their flesh, and that this world is in desperate desire to grab us, and to turn our gaze to the world and to live in the flesh, to set our mind on the things of the flesh, to say that they are more important than the things of the Lord. And Satan even uses our desire to love you, Lord. I pray that you would help us to realize that, 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 that to build our own righteousness that is built on just doing good things. And it's just in the flesh. And we fail and we wonder why. Lord, help us to realize the importance to walk according to your spirit. To turn our gaze to you. To realize and to live according to the gospel every day. That we might know the gospel, live by the gospel. And that we would allow the spirit your spirit, to lead and guide us every day. Lord, would you help us as we fight this battle to submit and to yield our life to you, to follow you, and to enjoy that eternal relationship that you have provided for us. Lord, we thank you for that good gift, that great gift that you have given us. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.